Well, the last couple of weeks, we've been starting this discussion about the family tree. And so we started with the root system, uh, having to do with biblical manhood and biblical womanhood. If you bypass that one, you can have a really deformed tree if you don't get that right. And, and the, roots, the root system is healthy. So I, I trust that's been helpful to you. And now we grow into the trunk which we're, we're going to talk about marriage relationship, husband and wife. You know, they say a, a, a picture is worth a thousand words. So, I mean, you got to consider some of these pictures. This is your, uh, my fellow preacher, Luke, on his bike. Look at those guns. Those guns, I think, are pea shooters now. I'm not sure. Now, how do you spell slimy? You know? I mean, look at the mullet. Uh, unreal. But you know... Turnabout is fair play, and he dug this up on me. <laughs> I don't know where I was or what I was doing. Uh, that was a Sadie Hawkins dance. I don't know what was with the hair. It just happened, you know. And this, I don't know what this is about either. These are, I think someone photoshopped or something. I don't know what this is about. And yes. Oh, man. A picture's worth a thousand words. I would say there are no words, you know. <laughs> when God was painting a picture for us about his love for his people, and at the same time, when he wanted to teach us about marriage, only he in this marvelous way could weave both, both together to create this beautiful portrait that's worth more than a thousand words. How good he has been to give us this picture of his love for the church. At the same time, teach us about married love and about relationships. That's what we're dealing with today and the next couple of weeks. About how to have a God-honoring marriage. This is our text. It's a familiar one uh, to most of you, if not all of you. Ephesians 5, beginning with verse 21. And I'll be there in just a minute. Submit to one another out of reverence for Christ. Now, we're going to talk about that one verse in just a couple of Sundays. Wives, submit to your husbands, to your own, to yourselves to your husbands as you, as you do to the Lord. For the husband is the head of the wife as Christ is the head of the church, his body of which he is the Savior. Now, as the church submits to Christ, so also should wives submit to their husbands in everything. Husbands, love your wives. Just as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her to make her holy, cleansing her by the washing with water through the word, and to present her to himself as a radiant church without stain or wrinkle or any other blemish, but holy and blameless. In the same way, husbands ought to love their wives as their own bodies. He who loves his wife loves himself. After all, no one ever hated their own body, but they feed and care for their body just as Christ does the church. For we are members of his body. For this reason, a man will leave his father and mother, be united to his wife, and the two will become one flesh. This is a profound mystery, but I'm talking about Christ and the church. However, each of one of you also must love his wife as he loves himself, and the wife must respect her husband. The text provides us with such a deep understanding of the, the marriage relationship. And we are wooed to this text also simply because we are moved again by this 
amazing love of God. That's why this text is not just for married people. It's for for those people who have just been scarred by life. It's for single people who want to be married and maybe one day will. Or, 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 or single people who are going to be having married people in their lives. I mean, think of Paul himself. He was a single man. He wasn't married, and yet through him, how many marriages have been blessed because of him? You single people have that ability too as you grow in Jesus Christ to make a difference. Many of you have been broken and scarred by divorce. And I find uh, that divorced people always want me to preach about marriage because they don't want people to go through the suffering they've gone through. And I want you to know, if you've gone through divorce, God's not done with you, because he's a redeemer. And whatever you've experienced, God wants to redeem that situation, and he wants to use it for his glory. So that's why the principles here are good for uh, many levels in a relationship, even though particularly it's talking about the marriage relationship. Ultimately, it's about the redemptive love of God in our lives. For something bigger than we even understand sometimes. Let's start with the definition of marriage. Basically, marriage is a covenant. It's it's not a contract. In a contract, there are two parties who come together and they agree on something. But when one party slips up or doesn't meet their part of the contract, the other person can walk out. And what we've learned out of the covenant relationship with God is that Every day we fail him. I fail him every day, either in thought life or in motivation, intention, action, word. But he continues to reach to me and and call me to a deeper relationship. This is what marriage is all about. Now, in in the Old Testament, uh, marriage... Um, A covenant, let's say a covenant, had four parts to it. One with the two parties that were involved. That was the first part of it. There's two parties involved in making a covenant. Secondly, there were stipulations. That is, duties and responsibilities to be carried out. Third, there were blessings and cursings announced. If you hold, holding to this covenant will bring these kinds of blessings on your life. If you don't hold to them, you can expect this kind of curse to happen not only to you, but it's going to have fingers in it and it's going to extend to other parts of your life, even other people. And fourth, of course, were the vows. Now, in the Old Testament, when a vow was made, an animal was taken, or or when a covenant was established, an animal was cut in two, and the parties walked between the bloody parts, basically saying, if I'm not true to this covenant, may what happened to these animals happen to me. So far, I have no, no married couple, no couple has asked me in their wedding to split up an animal and we would walk with it. It makes it much easier on the janitorial staff because they haven't asked us to kill an animal to do that. Instead, we use rings. There are ever the cultures, uh, the Celtic culture, they'll, they'll jump over a broom. Jewish culture, they'll smash a glass. We, we exchange rings. You know, all, it, that's not what makes the marriage. However, whatever a ceremony looks like, a marriage covenant is a permanent, exclusive, uh, public, legal commitment to another person. Sounds pretty romantic, doesn't it? There's not much rom- romance in that, yet it is so significant that we understand that. I've done a lot of weddings where people will write their own vows, and I'm not against that. It's just that usually a self-written vows are so much about feeling, the feelings of love. But first of all, marriage is a covenant that's being established. It's a decision to love another person no matter what, 
to the end of, to the end of our lives. One of us dies separated by death. So that's, that's what it is. It's, it's a demonstration of God's agape love. Agape love is sacrificial love. And so in covenant marriage, in, a, in, in marriage as a covenant, we are continually laying ourselves down. That's, the, that's God's principle. He laid down his life for us. The call to be a disciple is that we lay down our lives for, for the sake of the gospel. We do that in married love. We lay down ourselves for the sake of the one we have chosen to love. That's the essence. That's the definition of marriage. Now, let's talk about the direction of marriage as well. Because a marriage is to have movement. If there is not growing movement and deepening and expansion, there is static in that marriage and there is decline that's going to happen in that marriage. There has to be this forward moving. Now, we have these last two weeks we've talked about these differences. There, there are male and female, there are many differences. I mean, I'm not, Diana and I are so different. She's the organized one. I'm the disorganized one. She's the cleaner one. I'm the slob. Um, our house would be a much nicer place if I didn't live there. Uh, some want the windows open. Some want the windows closed. Some, some squeeze the toothpaste tube from the bottom. Some do in the middle, meaning they're very disorganized people. Uh, that's me. I squeeze from the middle, right? It's just, it's just a problem I have, okay? Uh, I, I mean, these differences, we, we are so different. I remember, and I might have shared this before years ago, but I remember we, we had moved to Plainfield. I was a, had a day off, and we, we were cleaning windows, and so she was finishing the breakfast dishes. I went to start. I was cleaning windows. She walked into the room and said, what do you want me to do? And I said, what do you mean? And she said, well, do you want me to work on the same window you're working on? You could be on the outside, I'll be inside, or I could do the one right next to you while you work on that one. Or I could, I could go to another room and start there and start down so we can meet them. I said, just wash windows. <laughs> Pretty much silence the rest of the day. Because of that, you know, because we're made so differently. She is so organized. She's a list person. She has to think through the process before we, I jump in and just do it. And usually takes me twice as long. That's just how it works. But you know, we could, we could talk about, we, and laugh about all of our differences. We were so different, all of us. We're male and female, but we're, we also are raised differently. We have different kinds of ideas and the ways we function in life. But this is, this is what is so important. In learning a direction and moving in marriage, two things. First of all, the, there's a priority of marriage, a priority of marriage. The text says a man, and he's quoting Genesis, God created, a man shall leave his father and mother, be united to his wife, and the two will become one flesh. Old King James says, you remember, cleave, leave and cleave, leave be united under God. What Paul is saying is, inspired by God, is when you're married, your marriage is the vortex of your life. It's the centerpiece under the lordship, the reign of Jesus. What that means is how it plays itself out. We have lots of different aspects of our life. Our world is varied. And you, you, you can have a job that's not going well. The finances aren't working. You know, the child rearing is not doing so well. Maybe your health's not well. But if your marriage is strong, you will deal with all those in strength. But if your marriage is weak, it doesn't matter how strong the other things are, you're going to operate in weakness and all those other areas. That's the intensity and the power of a strong and healthy marriage. Therefore, 
Our, our marriage relationship is a priority. It takes priority over parent-child relationship. And if you look at your calendar, you'll probably see that most of your life, if you're married and have kids, centers around your kids' lives. We all fall prey to that. Now, I realize they have demands and their schedules, but there also has to be this, this real, this, this evidence, tangible evidence that our relationship as husband and wife comes first. Um, else the biblical principle breaks down. No other person we should be spending, investing more time in than our spouse. Friends, marriage takes priority over friendships. Friendships are important. And, and men need male friends. Uh, most men I ask, who's your closest friend? They don't have any. A, a guy needs a close friend. Women need close friends. There's nothing wrong with that. But, but the, 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 the marriage relationship, the husband-wife relationship always takes priority, priority over friendship relationships. Uh, uh, career. It takes priority over career. I've been so guilty. I've confessed that before in the course of my life where I have let my career, my calling preside over, over my marriage. I remember that time in the upstairs bedroom. We were doing something, another day off, and she says, you're having an affair. And I said, what? I mean, I was floored. And she said, I know who it is. It's the church. And I looked on my calendar, and for the previous 30 nights, I had not been home. Because I allowed my love for career to take part. Listen, men, women, if you have a career that's demanding, it means that you cannot have all the outside enjoyments that otherwise you would have because your career takes that time. Now, I'm not saying don't have any. I'm just saying you're going to have to give up some of those things because of career. Don't make your spouse be the one who sacrifices because of your career. Yeah, it, it takes priority over your parents. Leave, he says. You have to leave your parents. You have to leave financially. You have to leave emotionally. You stop caring about your, what your parents think about your decisions. You don't let them shape you because you're a couple. You're a husband and wife. That priority is first. And so you decide for yourselves um, uh, on your own. And sometimes we don't leave because we simply react to bad parenting by saying, I'm never going to do that. And that's not the way to do it. In other words, if you had a, had a dad that was harsh on you and, and you say, beat you, and then you say, I, I'm never going to touch my kid. I'm not going to spank my kid. Well, you're still living controlled by your father. Instead, you sit down and you think through, should we spank or not? Do I believe in, do, are we going to believe and practice corporal punishment or not? What are the positives and negatives and what should we read about this to make your own decision? Otherwise, you haven't really left your parents. If you had a mom that made you go to church and they said, I'm not going to make my kids go to church, you're being controlled by your mother. Instead, you sit down and you think, how can we raise our kids in a healthy spiritual environment? So we never, our kids never have to feel like we're making them do anything, but they just want to because of the relationship, and, uh, the relationship we have with, with Christ. You see, the leaving, the leaving is so important and so many couples haven't, haven't done it. And if, you're, if you talk to your parents more about decisions you're making than do your spouse, something's out of kilter. Your marriage isn't taking priority. Make sure you, you take care of that. Not only is the priority of marriage important, but the purpose of marriage. The purpose of marriage is companionship and friendship. 
our spouses are to be our best friends because that's how it all starts. That's how it started with Adam. You know, when Adam looked at Eve, he didn't say, wow, what a babe. You know, no, I'm sure he felt that. But the first thing he thought was, ah, now I have someone that helped me know me. I have someone in your presence, Eve. Now I can know myself. That's what this biblical manhood woman was all about these last couple of weeks. That we get to opposite, but the same. You see? A mirror. So that we can, that we can become better. Now, I've done weddings before where the, the, the bride had a man of honor. And where, where, where the groom has had a uh, best woman. And ceremonially, I have no problem with that. But I do have a problem if that truly is the best friend. That will not play out right in marriage. It can't be that because this is what friendship is. Friendship is deep oneness that comes through a mutual journey to the same direction. C.S. Lewis wrote The Four Loves, and he talks about eros, erotic love, romantic love, and philos, a friendship love. And he said, in Eros love, two people are looking at one another. They're facing each other. Friendship love is two people, shoulder to shoulder, looking at the same focal point. And that's what, a, that's what, that's what friendship in marriage is. It's not only friendship. It's deeper than friendship. But that's at least what it is. And it's more. It's beyond and so we build that friendship. We have that unity of purpose that our marriage is about getting each other to stand before the throne of God and the best way that we can. And therefore, we speak into each other's lives. We help each other become better. We lay down our defenses and we welcome whatever needs to be said because the gospel changes us. And one of the ways the gospel changes us is as the gospel is working on Diana through the Holy Spirit in her, she sees things in me and she speaks into my life, things that I need to see in myself that I don't see. And conversely, the same is true because there'll come a day when we will stand before our Lord. And we want to be ready. So that's how it all worked. You know, weddings without Christ, it's sort of like playing dress up. If that's all it is, without Christ, and we're just left to one another, there's not much. No, marriage, in marriage, you know, you, you, don't, marry, uh, you don't marry a statue. You marry a piece of marble. And we are mutual sculptors in marriage. And we allow each other to chip away until we come radiant before the throne one day. Romance is great. Sex is great. But it's the dessert. It's not, it's not the substance of marriage. It's not the, the staple. You see, all this is why sex outside of marriage is inappropriate and why God says it's sin. It's sin because it violates one's vulnerability and openness and transparency. Because in sex, a person is naked. Here I am. It's pretending to be known. But it's not. I'm not willing to give myself to you by getting married. But I'll give you myself to you sexually. You see, it's a fraud. It's a fake. 
and it wounds the person. The Bible says the person who sins sexually, all other sins, he says, a person commits outside a person's body. Sexual sins, a person commits against his own body. There's something happens deep within that does its ruin in us. Now, that can be redeemed. Many have failed in that way. But if you are single, do it God's way. And you give yourself first as this, building this deep friendship. I want to be known by you, and I want to lay myself out for you. You develop a covenant relationship. You enter a covenant relationship. And then you enjoy the, the other intimacy that comes with married love. Now, here's the depiction of marriage. And uh, it's, it's, such a, it's such a fitting picture, isn't it? The, the, these, these, this, this portrait that, that God has. And he's the chief communicator. He's the ultimate communicator. So he, he paints this beautiful picture in two ways. He gives us the structure of marriage. And the structure of marriage is that it's like a body where there's a head and then the rest of the body. And it's not that it, it all fits together. Nobody wants a headless body. And what's the use of a head without a body? It all works together. And it's a beautiful picture of Jesus being the head of the church and we, his body, and we submit to him. We'll come back to this later, but we surrender to him, not of compulsion and fear, because we're so loved. Why would we not want to come under his lordship? And so, husbands... This is our main purpose. This is our main, main uh, uh, just command to love our wives in the same way to the degree that God, Christ, has loved the church by laying ourselves down. So here we have these complementary parts of the body, the head and all the other members of the body. Paul is teaching there's, there's, there's a complementary nature between the genders. We are not equivalent in our roles. But we are equal in our worth and our value. That is not, that is not tainted at all. So we have the, the head and the body that move in the same direction. So we have Adam created as the namer. He names the animals, have dominion over. And then, but he's deficient. It's not good that he's alone. So woman is created from his side, and she's the perfect person for him to speak into his deficiencies. And so she's the helper. Not that doesn't mean she's less than, as we've talked about earlier. She's not, it's not a diminutive position. It simply means, in fact, in fact, it's a very sophisticated term. She has the power, the resources that the namer doesn't have to be all that he can be. And both, both bless one another. It's, it's the same kind of picture when you're helping your kid do the homework. You know, and so you, you, they have a science project, okay? And you think, oh, great, a science project. And so you started getting involved. Now, there's two ways to help, help her in a science project. You can either say, now, here's some things, here's some ideas, here's some thoughts, here's some tools you can use, and let her at it. Or you end up doing it, and when she gets the grade, you feel you, like you got the grade. And so you haven't helped her, you've replaced her. Now, what happened in the creative process is, you know, they started out great, right? I mean, there was, everything was perfect with Adam and Eve. She didn't have to worry about him flirting with anybody else. She didn't need help knowing what to wear. I mean, it was perfect, right? <laughs> Did you hear that? Okay. Um, you know, there was an untainted 
marriage. Perfect. But then the evil one stepped in and warped everything. And they started to think, you know, we can do this ourselves. We don't need, we don't need God. We like it. We love each other. We're doing pretty well. I've named pretty well. I'm helping him pretty good. But they sinned. And as a result, God says in Genesis 3:17 to the man, curses the ground because of you. Through painful toil, you'll eat food from it all the days of your life. And to Eve, he said, I will make your pains and childbearing very severe. With painful labor, you will give birth to your children. Your desire will be for your husband, and he will rule over you. Now, there's a lot in that, but in short, it's saying man's leadership without redemption will be tyranny. And woman as helper under the curse would become overly dependent on a man to meet her needs. And men aren't able to do that. And men tend to be tyrannical and demanding under this curse of sin. And friends, that's why we need Jesus. That's why I need his redemption so I can love my wife better. Uh, I, I need his redemption so I know what this agape love looks like and learn about that. He can make me a better man. Ladies, I mean... Wives, you need his redemption, God's redemption, so you won't put that on your husband to somehow meet all your needs. He can't do that. He's not qualified to do that. There's only one that meets our needs, whether you're married, divorced, widowed, single. There's only one that can meet all your needs. He is the ultimate completer of our deficiencies, Jesus Christ himself. And here's the mystery of marriage. It's found in this term, one flesh. What's that? It sounds, it sounds a little weird. That's why, that's why Paul calls this a mystery. He says, all this I'm writing to you about, it's almost like he's saying, you know, I don't fully get it myself. Our unity with Jesus is a mystery. How is it that we're baptized into Christ and just a second ago, I was under his wrath. I come out of that water in contact with the blood of Christ and now I'm united with Jesus. I'm one with him. What a mystery that is. And what a mystery it is when you begin this covenant relationship And the two are in this process of becoming one flesh. It's like two elements that are joined together to make a new compound. And everything's different. I don't understand you people that like cookie dough. What's with that? I noticed at Meijer, you can buy it in a tub and you can eat it. How strange. You need counseling if that's what you do. (laughs) In marriage, there there is this wovenness together that you're, you're... you, you're inseparable. You hardly know the distinctives. You know, I, I don't like cookie dough, but I've been going, if Diane's making chocolate chip cookies and I walk past, I, I'm picking those chocolate chips out of the dough. You know, I'm picking those out. Now, if she's making molasses cookies with a molasses scoop, I'm not taking a spoonful of molasses out because it's, woven, it's all in the dough. I can't get to the molasses. It's all, that's what marriage is. And it's so strange because, like, I... One time there was people over and I was telling Diana about this obese aunt I had. And she had a piece of chicken here and she had a roll here and she had a napkin there. And she'd eat the chicken, bite the roll, wipe her lips over and over. And Diana's staring at me. She says, that's not your aunt. That was my aunt that did that. I said, no, it's my aunt. We still haven't resolved it. 
Sometimes she'll, I'll say, I had this great dream the other night, and I'll get done. She said, that was my dream. You didn't dream that. And I'll think, oh, yeah, that was your dream, wasn't it? But it was, I need counseling, right? But that's a silly way to show it. But, you know, that's kind of how marriage works, that you just, you just start weaving together. You know how each other thinks and operates. I remember Paul and, Paul and Elaine Reeves. Paul's still living. Elaine went with the Lord. Funniest couple I ever sat with. He'd take a breath and she'd finish her sentence. <laughs> and I would tell you about this guy who lives down the street and she would just roll on when he swallowed. I never saw anything like it. They were like Siamese husband wife. You know, one brain, just one brain. But you know, in a very vivid picture, that's what, that's what God wants us to enjoy. This one fleshness. It's a mystery. We're not facing outward away from each other. We face inward. And we face in the same direction on Jesus. Here's, here, here's two or three suggestions for this one fleshness. First, let your spouse in. Do you let your spouse in? Do you let them hear your hurts, your trouble, what you're struggling with? Are you intimate enough that you can, you can bear your soul, your sin, your shame, what you're embarrassed about, you did at work, or what you said, what you thought, and you felt exposed before God, and you just want to talk about it? You can't get to one fleshness where you can confess, confess each other's weaknesses you know, to each other in safety. And you know, you know you're going to be loved no matter what. It's okay. Second, reprogram your self-image. I didn't say that right. I would say, let me say it differently uh, if you're taking notes. Like, be willing to have your self-image reshaped. You know, we're, we're, we're the sum total of a lot of verdicts people have in our lives. What our dad said to us. How our moms talked to us. What the coach, how the coach treated us. What a teacher said. And our self-image comes from a lot of different sources. But we sort of become the sum total of what we've heard and listened to. And you know spouses, husbands, and wives, you know the power you have to take. If that's been all negative all your life, you had critical parents, you had a coach that, that never played you, you had a, you had a, uh, you know, a boss who said you're never going to mount anything or teachers that said that, you bring that to a marriage and you have a spouse that says, I don't care what anybody else says about you, I think you're brilliant. You know that you as a spouse can overturn all those other verdicts? And conversely, if you had all these positive people speaking to your life, and you have a spouse that says to you, I wish I never married you. Do you know that could, be, could destroy a person? Even, if you, even in the heat of a moment you said it, you didn't mean it, you never forget it. That's why our words are so valuable. But this is what I want you to know. Regardless of all that, God looks at you and all your scars and wounds today and says, I see everything, nothing hidden, and I'm crazy about you. I'm crazy about you. That's why we worship him and love him today. Because he is first, he's the ruler, he steps into our homes, and he can transform. I don't know what shape your marriage is today, but I know mine can be better, and I'm sure yours could be better as well. And I hope you want yours to be better. You're not going to bail. 
that you're in it for the long haul, no matter what it takes, because we had one who laid down his life that we may live. How many of you watched the royal wedding yesterday? Yeah, my wife, she's a huge royalty fan. And she's, oh, y'all see this. Oh, oh, now they're there. She'd call in the other room, you know. And I'd look. And I'd weld up a couple times. I hate to admit it, you know. But, you know, that pales in comparison to the true royal wedding. It's going to happen one day when the clouds open and the bridegroom descends. And his bride is beautifully adorned for her husband. Will you live that way? Will you believe that? In whatever shape of your marriage, just be, just be committed and be loyal and say, I'm, I'm going to do my best. I can't control my spouse, but I can do what God wants me to do in preparation for that day. Let's pray. Our Father in heaven, we confess our neediness today. We get sloppy around the people we love the most. We get careless, self-centered. That is certainly my sin, Father. And I pray for your forgiveness in my own life where I have not properly protected Diana, where I have not loved her as she wants to be loved. I pray on behalf of our families today that, that we will value the ones we have. I pray for those single people. I pray for for our high school students, our college students who are yet to know this relationship, that they will seek the will of God in this journey toward married life. I pray that all of us will give our homes to you, that you'll renew our marriages, even today, as we live this out. Thank you, Father, for treating us as your bride and loving us to the nth degree, I pray all of us will be ready to stand before you. In Jesus' name, amen.